And welcome to the Free Range Buffalo. Break free from the herd. Today we're on part four of our incentivized animal series, The Miracle of the Hidden Hand, Efficiencies and Bringing the End to Poverty. Hello, Michael. Hi, Bryce. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you? Well, not as good as that, although I guess you're leading the herd today. So today we're going to be talking about the, uh, the efficiencies of the market. You know, and this is one of those things I think we talk about in high level or, you know, th- those who are involved in, uh, in markets and those, those people who are have tied in to the system know this inherently, but it doesn't get talked about very often about why that is, you know, and I think this is why it's so important today for, for us to bring light to is when we have a lot of the counter arguments, you know, the, the rise of neo-Marxists. Uh, and by that, you know, these terms get bandied about, but people who no longer believe in capitalism, people who think that the, the things they have today are, or are just the inherent rights they have, the inherent goods they have. Like, oh, I have this house, the heat turns on, I have electricity. Um, if, if I want something, I go onto my app and I can get, uh, you know, uh, skip the dishes and stuff just shows up and that that's how the world works. And that is not the natural order of things. That's actually how we've built our system and very much so is built on uh, the core of capitalism, competition, marketplaces, exchanges of goods for services and le- letting that work itself out. So I think I'm really excited to do a little bit of a deep dive on why that actually works. Well, I think one of the th- first things we could look at is uh, is how m- many people capitalism has lifted out of poverty in the last 50 to 60 years. Mm. There's people now uh, that, well, a substantial amount, I've fr- I don't know the s- statistic, but a substantial amount have been lifted out of poverty. People have been brought from $1 a day to two. And that doesn't sound like much, but... That's 100%. It, that's 100%. Well, and that's a vast vast uh difference to those people it might not sound like much to us and i think to your point what you said earlier bryce is what a lot of people are realizing now is inequalities Mm. and and there's inequalities in in many systems and there are inherent in the capitalist system right but the poorest person nowadays in the united states is still vastly better off than the richest person uh, 150 years ago, they have. Yeah. Ind- <laughs> they likely have indoor plumbing. They likely yeah. have, uh, you know, uh, heating, uh, things of those nature that that people they can go to the supermarket. Um, so yeah, yeah. So the, the advancement of society uh, that capitalism has allowed has greatly outpaced uh, some of the problems that are perhaps inherent in the system. Right, and 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 this isn't to diminish that there's still a long ways to go for maximizing the potential of, of you know, the, poten- the the opportunity for every person in, in our society. I'm, I'm not diminishing that, but I think you're, you're hitting right on the, on the crux of the matter. There's a big difference between being poor and being impoverished. Being poor is being in a lower demographic. That, so if, if there's a spread, if you're gonna, going to divide people by income, there's always a bottom third, middle third, top third, or however fraction you want to do it. There's always a bottom and there's always a top. doesn't matter what system you have. Even the most egalitarian, the most equal system you have, you're still going to have some differences in there. So the bottom you can always classify as poor because they never go, are going to have as much as the ones at the top. 
who you can always classify as rich. Again, not taking away from the fact that we do need to, or we need to take a look at seeing how much inequality can you have within a system before it becomes destabilized. And that's, a, and that's a, I think, a, a question for a, another day. But taking a look at the impoverishment, you know, if, if you're subsisting off less than a dollar a day, you're living hand to mouth, you're living in, you know, a, a subsistence farming, maybe you're living, you know, in a very traditional lifestyle with, with no uh, modern amenities. And that might sound very romantic to someone who, who gets three squares a day in his indoor plumbing and refrigeration and uh, modern medicine so they don't die from typhus or various very other um, minor diseases. But the reality is, is that when you're living in those conditions and completely impoverished, where you're, you don't have access to clean water, your, your child mortality is through the roof, you don't have three squares a day, so you're, even your brain function, when you don't get the right level of vitamins into uh, at times, your, your mind doesn't even function, so you're not even able to introduce education at, at that. So you're really, impoverishment is a completely different level, and I think you can take a look around the world, and there's very, the world's been reshaped in the last 50 years. Um, because of the the spreading of capitalism across the globe, globalization for all of its ills, at least you can say is um, a lot of these communities are elevating the people. I mean, whether it's from China to Vietnam, I mean, uh, some parts of, of Africa, Nigeria, um, you know, the levels of education are so much higher. Uh, the the amount of people who are able to live and afford, you know, even even just the basics is if you thought that was possible, like 50 years ago, we didn't think we'd have enough people to food to feed enough people. We're still growing more than more food than we actually are consuming. Well, you, uh, you mentioned education and I think capitalism mm. benefits education for further generations because it allows, mm. uh, it allows wealth to be put back into the system and allows right. some of those structures to be yes. set up. So, yeah. so I think that is a, is a benefit too. And it's also a freedom of education. Um, that's expanded throughout the world as well mm. in more dictatorial societies. I would imagine that uh, education is a little more structured. If you show an aptitude towards say engineering or they need more engineers, they're going to become one mm. uh, based on the government's needs and things like that. Uh, well, if, so taking that one, taking the one step back, capitalism being the, the system of competition. So in competition as uh, is you're growing in, in, in sophistication in, in the global marketplaces of the different products, um, items, services that you are that you can offer for sale. For people will exchange goods for service and for products. Okay, so in modern society, aeronautics, rails, energy, uh, financial services, educational services, all growing in, in, in sophistication and what capitalism brings to bear is that you want, like when it comes to education, capitalism demands at higher levels of performance, higher level of productivity per laborer. That means they need, they require a higher level of um, education in order for maximum participation. This is why uh, those countries that are the most successful also have extremely robust, versatile, flexible education systems and we're then, in fact, one of the keystones in any country that's developing is they start getting, making sure that they're their education system in order to maximize each of their citizens' 
uh, as, as labor units. I mean, you're actually commoditizing a person. As horrible mm-hmm. as that might sound from a, a whole different moral dimension you might take a look at, but from a economic point of view, if you take a look at each person as a labor unit, they're You val- want to maximize their potential. Exactly, because that's their value that they can generate for the system and actually maximize the profit for said corporation. It's also where different corporations will set up shop in different areas around the world depending upon their labor pool they can draw upon. That's why Ireland was it, uh, such a magnet because of their... Um, they're competing with other countries to set up. And, they, and one of the things is say that we can give you a, a, a tax rate that's competitive, a security situation that is uh, su- super secure, especially since the uh, peace accords with the UK. And, oh, by the way, we have an educated population that's underemployed, so you can get them at, at bargain basement value compared to anywhere else in Europe or even North America. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of, of competition. It's not just individuals acting. It's also groups of in- individuals coming together as uh, communities, whether it's cities or competing against other cities or uh, countries competing against countries. Well, Bryce, you, you made an interesting point about the, the competition. And I just thought of this. Um, in very successful capitalist systems, uh, you have the there's an incentive to compete. Yes. Uh, perhaps you get more. You can get more status, more wealth, more uh, advancement in society, more things if that's what you're into. However, in the very successful ones, there's also uh, you can choose not to compete because we're a free society. Mm. So you probably do reasonably well, even without having to compete. And I think there's a there. Sometimes people are looked at as failures for that. Mm. And I think there's, you know, we can get into all the resentment and envy and things like that. But sometimes people just are choosing not to compete because they can have a comfortable life in this society. Mm. That people, other people have risked their capital and the capitalist society generated excess wealth. So then there is that trickle down effect Mm. on people. I don't think that there was the same amount of uh, layabouts or, or, uh, the problems of uh, laziness or, or ineffectual people in, uh, say, a Soviet society, they were sent somewhere off as a labor unit, <laughs> whether it be the gulags, the yeah. salt mines. Yeah, or, you're right. You know, they didn't have that opportunity. And so it it can create its own problems. But, but that's also a beautiful thing is people can choose to compete and then they can do extremely well or they can choose not to and probably be reasonably okay but it creates these these other issues um but i'm gonna i'm gonna tilt it a little bit away from that and and start talking about efficiencies right and uh, some of the efficiencies that not only capitalism does create but uh, but within the system uh it's incentivized and you can look at this when i look at uh, incentives and someone that's properly gone after them and it's created a win-win situation, and a behemoth of a company is Amazon. Oh, yes. So when you look at Amazon, if you've ever studied the founding principles or Jeff Bezos' flywheel, or you know when he structured the company, he looked at the long term mm-hmm. and said, what are things that aren't going to change about the consumer? They're always going to like lower prices. They're always going to like convenience. And they're always going to... I don't know what the third one might be, but <laughs> those are two good enough ones, lower right. price and convenience. And, yeah. and he focused on delivering those things. So the consumer is incentivized to keep going back to him and he's able to scale this 
this incentive for the consumer uh, as his business grows because mm. he can buy more, he can then deliver lower prices, and it, that's the flywheel effect. So it continues spinning. So his business is growing. The consumer is benefiting because they're getting, you know, uh, it delivered faster. Right. Uh, they don't have to go to the store. They it shows up on their door. It's lower. It's lower priced, and so it continues and it compounds and it compounds. And uh, if you look at the efficiencies now, if you look at say frictions in the system or or, or things like that, how easy is buy with one click now, or Prime membership? Yeah. You're going to get things tomorrow. Are you kidding? They made it so easy for you, so efficient for you as a consumer to consume products that you're incentivized to do so, and they're incentivized to keep delivering that service for you. Well, and, and, and what you're really um, diving into is it, it's that positive feedback loop of positive competition. So you're so not only you, do you, are you competing for pool of labor, so, you, so on, on a production side as a company, as a manufacturer, as a, as a company, or as a, just as a, even as a simple um, participant in the economy as a producer, you're competing. You're competing for supplies. You're competing for labor units. You're competing for all those things. But but you're also competing for the consumer. And the consumer is also looking, competing with other consumers, and also you're also making decisions based upon your your products. And it's that positive feedback loop. And I think that's where people really get confused or not confused. Sometimes don't think this all the way through because I, I love looking at the Soviet Union. You know, when you're taking a look at their auto manufacturer, they had Lada. You could get any car you wanted as long as a Lada. You know, I know it's a riff off of the Henry Ford line, but here's the thing. You take a look at how uh, in the capitalist society where you have multiple different companies all competing, you know, GM, Ford, um, you know, Dodge, Chrysler, you know, Buicks. That's just the Americans, let alone the Germans with the BMWs, the Mercedes, uh, Brits with the Jags, et cetera, et cetera. Japanese with the Toyotas, Hondas. The list goes on. And, and the, each one is competing for a finite number of consumers to sell them the best possible product. And that drives down costs because each one is trying to find a way, Because, like you said, okay, well, I'm motivated by cost. Well, this is the cheapest car. Well, I'm actually also motivated by quality. I, I know that these have really good warranties and that, uh, these vehicles have a reputation for lasting forever. Well, you know what? I'm also motivated by the latest possible goodness, like uh, fuel economy, most comfortable seats, safest vehicle. And each one of those criteria goes into the con the consumer's mind and are where they allocate their resources into getting it. So even auto manufacturers like, well, you know what? It costs too much for our vehicles for you to afford now. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to create something called financing. You take the product now and you pay us off over a series of time and we just put a little bit of uh, extra gravy on on top to pay for that service and you get your car without even having to pay for it you don't get those inventions that creativity that ability to move a dynamic amount of products without that positive feedback loop without companies having to compete because without that pressure and i talk about this a lot the mark one human is the path of least resistance. I will do the absolute bare minimum I have to mm -hmm. in order to succeed. And, you know, whether it's the Soviets with a lot of... If, if, I, I was watching a Top Gear episode and they had the... And they, they, they were showing the, the joys of a lot of, you know, and man, that thing was built poorly. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, 
especially in certain times in certain eras where the Soviets were actually low on steel. So they would, it would have substandard steel and the whole thing would rust out on you and you didn't even know what had happened in the frame. But they, but they weren't incentivized to get to, to keep it up because they had to compete for the you know, the Soviet war machine. All the steel had to go to their tanks, right? And so, so it was that it's that feedback loop, like you said. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing incentives do create is is a feedback loop, and uh, it reinforces behavior. It can mm. it can stimulate behavior, as well, like we talked about on yep. the last shoulders of giants, yep. setting ambitious goals. But then it creates that feedback loop. It's it's what you're incentivizing, mm-hmm. and so if they're good incentives, it's going to create that positive reinforcement. Right. And if it's if it, they're disincentives or misaligned incentives, they can create really poor behavior because you're optimizing for that outcome. Uh, what's incentivized? Mm-hmm. I think humans do that. Uh, Einstein has a quote. It's what uh, what is observed is what's measured or no it's uh <laughs> <laughs> you hate you hate to misquote einstein yeah yeah exactly basically it's it's what uh, the theory determines what's going to be observed right so what you're looking for is what you're going to find and i think incentives uh, do that uh they zero in on that better than anything else well and that's actually quite quite beautifully I'm, I'm i'm not gonna give einstein any credit because that was not a quote from him i think i, I but you got the kernel of, of the idea from him but you're exactly right and I, I think that's really where i would like to really uh leave with between you and i and for any of our, our listeners it's that positive feedback loop it doesn't matter on which whether you're on the consuming side whether you're on the producing side or whether you're on the outside like you said someone who isn't no is, is not really motivated by um, the consum- um, consumer model that we currently live in and say, well, I've checked out. You can only check out because we have such excess in goods that you can still afford to live a certain lifestyle without really participating maximum effect. That's great. But the thing is you cannot deny that without a system that can provide a feedback loop and the smaller, the smaller in response time that feedback loop is, the more responsive a company is, the more responsive a pe- person is, the more responsive it is to you know the consumers and to the litmus tests. You know, because what you're really doing is, in real time, the marketplace is democracy in action, and you're seeing what people's preferences are. And if you're not responding to their needs, you will die. Just like if you're not, if if the auto manufacturer is not producing a car that they want, those companies will die. It doesn't actually matter what if if you're producing anything that no one actually will will end up purchasing, you'll go away. And it's that positive feedback loop, and or even negative. It's it positive or negative. It's just about that feedback loop that actually allows for efficiencies to be found to compete with each other in real time, and for the best possible things to be put forward. So, I think part five we're gonna have to talk about the dark side of that because competition, you know, this Hobbesian you know, all versus all does have come with the dark side, but um, with that feedback loop and with that direct competition, um, the reduction in absolute poverty across the world, within Canada, within the United States, within Western Europe, that is undeniable. You go across the world, it is undeniable that people are living better, they're eating better, they have access to, more people have access to modern living than any other time before. This is the best time worldwide to be alive. And on that happy note, I'll leave the last words to you, Mike. 
Well, on that note, have a good night, everyone. Break free from the herd.